The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Joanne Mercier. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Dom. Folks, I want to recommend another show on the StarQuest Network for you. We're going to start doing this a little bit where we tell you about some of the other shows that we provide. And this show is uh, one that's near and dear to my heart. It's called Raising the Bets. It's a show I do with my wife, Melanie, where we talk about, you know, uh, raising kids, uh, faith, talk about food because we love to cook. Uh, We talk about books and movies because those are big parts of our lives and other stuff, too. And just check it out. It's Raising the Bets. You can find it wherever podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Get the, if you get the joke, my last name is often abbreviated as bet. Uh, and if you go this week uh, to, to look at it as the show uh, drops, as Secrets of Tech drops, you won't find an episode this week because uh, usually we do it weekly. But this week, I forgot to turn on Melanie's microphone because I'm a tech guy and I know all about technology. And I forgot to turn on her microphone. And so there's an hour of me talking and nothing of her. So wah, wah. nobody wants that. <laughs> so, But uh, rest assured, our, our, you could go check out our, our previous episode and all the things we did talk about, we will talk about again uh, next week and it will be even better. So check that out. All right, let let us get, jump right into our uh, discussions today because it's some good stuff. And the first one, the first story that we want to talk about is this article from Gizmodo that says in the future, you won't own any gadgets. And it's really talking about this this latest trend where you know, we we don't buy things as much as we used to. We lease them. And even the things we think we own we only partially own in some ways, and we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, it, you know, it kind of goes back to this idea. The World Economic Forum back in 2016 had this video about you know the future in 2030. These what will happen, and one of the things it said was you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, which some people interpreted as you know a prediction of communism, but wasn't. Was more like you're going to rent everything. You you know you're not going to buy things. You're going to rent things, and it was interesting. In this article, because it 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 talks about how much we've already gone in this direction, where we either we we are renting, like for example, we've talked about before, we don't own the movies we buy on iTunes or or Apple TV or Amazon or any of those places. We we pay for it, but we but we can't take it. We can't go anywhere with it. And if when we die, we or we can't pass it on to our heirs or we can't sell it to someone else. And if you can't really pass it on, you can't sell it, you don't really own it. Um, and then there's some other things like that, like where there's even with hardware that you buy, sometimes the 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 they shut down servers or the software that is necessary to use it um, is licensed. And you have to pay a subscription to continue using it. So I just wanted to check with you, you know, with both of you. What do you think of this? potential future where we are now and a future of where we don't we don't get to own any of our stuff what do you think of this oh well as one who is ripping her entire movie and tv collection right and still keeping the physical media you know i believe i i some things are okay to rent i think you know, uh, just from what I'm seeing now, but I'm one of those old fashioned people that I like to physically own what I have. So not so much in the movies and the TV and, and even sometimes in the music, the music I've kind of let go because I would have a worse library of CDs than I do now. So, and if I'm just buying one old song that I liked from 1970, I don't want to buy a whole album, you know, or a whole CD for it. So in that case, I don't mind it. But this business of like, he was saying things like, um, 
you know, if you if oh, what was the one that really stuck with me? Was it the Peloton or the Sonos? It was the Sonos because I know somebody who had that problem. And it was like, I just spent $5,000 on a Sonos system and now it's obsolete. Or what's happening now with the Kindles. The Kindles are another thing where, you know, I don't mind the convenience of a Kindle because I'd have a million books, but all of a sudden now my Kindle's not going to work because it's ancient. It won't go on the internet. And I, I don't have that problem, but I can see where people would start to get a little icky about things. I just think, I think right now we still have a choice. And as long as we have a choice, whether to go, whether you want to rent everything or whether you want to own everything or a little of both, that's fine. But if we move more towards everybody's going to rent everything, the American in me starts to kick up and say, no, I have rights. I should (laughs) clarify. So the Sonos thing is that in last year, 2020, Sonos retired a bunch of its older speakers, which were still working. But because it's, it's hardware and software. They shut off the software. The hardware doesn't work, even though it's still functional. And then to add insult to injury, they said, well, you know, what you can do is we'll give you a discount if you trade it in, you know, on new stuff. And people said, well, what if I well, no, there was a we'll give you a discount if you're if you're all the old ones. And people like, oh, great, I'll sell these to somebody and I'll get the new stuff. And, And they said, no, 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 you have to you have to send us the old Sonoses or brick them. And people kind of freaked out like, no, this is mine. I own this. And uh, and they ended up relenting. And the Kindle thing is, is when you the oldest Kindles, they had the WhisperSync technology where they had a free. I think at the time it was Sprint cellular connection for for downloading uh, books that, you know, we didn't have to be on Wi-Fi. It came with it. And the oldest Kindles, those are starting to expire. It was supposed to be, you know, forever. And they didn't expect people's Kindles to (laughs) last that long, apparently. I think a lot of this, though, is like. People don't have their expectations of technology, right? Like when you buy your like you buy your iPhone and you're spending like you know eight hundred dollars on it, you don't have an expectation that in thirty years you're gonna give that iPhone to your kid and it's gonna be like an heirloom. Like we spend a lot of money on these gadgets that are very quickly becoming obsolete, and I feel like that's just that's just how this technology works. And so for certain things, even like with music or movies. Um, the concept of owning these ephemeral things where like we own, like even if you buy a record player, like you own that piece of plastic that the music is recorded on, but you don't technically own the song on the record. So even with older, older items that are longer lasting, just because the technology was less intricate, it's it, the concept of ownership of like movies and music. Like I think people kind of confuse owning a physical object that is going to last longer with owning the actual movie or the actual song. Yeah, well, at least the right, uh, the right that we have as an o- in ownership is that we can make a copy of it, mm-hmm. you know, for our own use. And that's the, that's the key. I can have the physical copy of a movie and I can have the digital copy, you know, on my Synology and play it through my Plex, mm-hmm. which, is, which is more convenient for us because we're getting old and we don't like to get up and change DVDs. But we still have that. We still have that choice to just have the digital like we rented. We owned we bought two movies streaming Aaron Brockovich and um, Top Gun. I can't get it either of them. If I wanted to put them on my Plex, I can't download them in a way where I could actually put them to my Plex, which means I don't own them. But I paid the same amount of money as if I would have bought it on a, you know, on a good, you know, Blu-ray sale. Right. So that's the difference. For me, that's the difference. Yeah, the the licensing. You are licensing something, and the licenses have restrictions that people don't always realize restrict their ability to do things that they, they thought they could do before. And I, and some of this is generational, right? Joanne, you and I grew up in, a, in an era where you owned a thing. You bought a, you bought a record. You bought a, a videotape. You owned the thing that played the thing you didn't really own. Just like I owned a book. I don't own the rights to the the text that's in it, but I own the book. I could sell the book. I can burn the book. I mean, I can do whatever I want with it. And that the medium was mine, but now there's a generation that, that never, that doesn't really think about owning the medium. They just, they, they have, uh, there is no medium in a sense. The medium is ephemeral. It's the internet, it's technology. Uh, and they have separated the content from the medium. Whereas folks like 
like Joanne and I have not. We we still think of the medium and the and the and the content as the as the same thing, and that's an interesting divergence. But I wonder. There's also a, 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 many of us have been put in the position by the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and some other laws of sort of skirting into gray areas in order to continue to use the the stuff that we've paid for in ways that we want. You know, ripping ripping stuff is a gray area. You know, the ripping a DVD or a CD or stripping the the uh, the um the the what is the the word the D, the I, DRM sorry yeah. The, yeah stripping the DRM off of a Kindle book so that in using Caliber so that I can have a backup copy I'm not selling it. I'm not going to put that on the internet. You know, the book I buy from Amazon, I just want to have a backup copy so that when, like I had the problem, I think it was last year, where my my son's uh, uh, Kindle bricked and we couldn't get at any of our content, any of our books. I had to go through Amazon customer service to restore the hundreds of books we've we've purchased, quote unquote, to our account so that we could have access to them. They were all gone. There was a you can go back to, to about a year ago and look at that. Uh, listen to that episode. Um, it, it, like it, that was the point where I said, I'm going to start backing up everything and stripping DRM and have an EPUB version of everything. Not because mm-hmm. I want to do anything illegal or I want to, you know, uh, strip the author or Amazon of their rights, but because I paid for stuff and I don't want to be deprived of it by through an, an accident or anything like that. I also think um, this is why subscription services are becoming more and more prevalent because people have realized that when you buy a song on iTunes or you buy a movie on Amazon, you don't really actually own it indefinitely. And so they'd rather pay a small fee month to month to just have access to everything. I wish, and I would do that more. I mean, I already do subscribe to things, except a lot of these services, you don't have everything. And that's the that's right. the thing that, that grates, especially with like movies. Mm-hmm. You know, so I subscribe to, you know, I have Amazon Prime and Netflix and Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus and Lord knows I'm probably going to have Paramount Plus soon because I got to review the Star Trek TV series and I cancel that whenever there's not a new Star Trek series. Uh, and that's, you know, that all that sort of stuff. And it's like, but they don't have, you know, the, the, the latest movies, not even the stuff that's still in theaters. They don't have the stuff that's not even been in theaters for ages and I have mm-hmm. to buy that or rent it, you know, for an additional fee. And it's it kind of it's it's death by a thousand cuts. And that's the thing I'm afraid of. I'd rather just buy a thing, you know, and know I own yeah. it rather than have yeah. to have that uncertainty or have an eclectic taste like me. I mean, my husband and I like different movies and you can't find something like you can find Roadhouse, which I hate that movie. My husband loves it on any of the streaming cable channels with a million commercials, but and cut up like you wouldn't believe. But he happens to own the DVD. So now he can watch it to his heart's content or like I'm a Mel Brooks fan. You can't find a lot of his stuff on streaming service. So it's like, you know, I'd rather own it, buy it, own it. Put it on the Synology, watch it when I want. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, really interesting quotes from the article uh, I want to kind of draw. One of the things he says is when you don't own anything, you're trading autonomy for convenience. And that's a really good summation of it. You know, you're, the, the autonomy is the ability to do what you want when you want with the thing. Sell it, use it, watch it here, there, any on anything. Well, you know, if we don't own it, so we're going to have convenience of knowing that it's always in the cloud somewhere. And that's that's the end, not having to pay a higher price for it, uh, you know, it, it, I guess, you know, or just store the thing as a physical copy and have to own a device like a DVD player or a VCR to plug it in and that sort of stuff. There's some truth to that. Yeah, there is. I also think that it, it kind of ties into older technology tended to be easier to user service. And this is. I think a little bit off topic, but it's kind of rolls into it with the whole right to repair stuff. Like with, um, I know John Deere has a, this whole thing with their yeah. tractors where they're making it really, really hard for farmers to work on their own tractors. And just that whole issue of you can't even work on the things that you own now because it will break the, or like go against the warranty and making devices as hard as possible to open up. So I think that that kind of rolls into that too, where you don't even really own your hardware. 
Yeah, and I think Dom's right, though. That's also a generational thing where the younger generation may not have the same type of technical skills or be inclined for the... T- and I, I don't want to... <laughs> I'm not dissing any young people, but <laughs> may not want to have the same technical skills to fix a tractor where older folks, that's they grew up doing that because their parents had no choice but to do that and to fix things. And they learned how with their parents, you know, as they were growing up. I think it may be less that it's about technical skill and more about that the things are more technical than ever. You know, that's uh, true. Right. Rebuilding yeah, a, that, car, a carburetor from a 1970s era car is something that, you know, any, any, you know, half handy kid could learn at his father's side back in 1975 you know, but today you know fuel injected carburetors or you know or not there's no carburetors anymore but you know the fuel injected engines of today or you know lord knows the electrics out there they're computer mm-hmm. systems you know yeah. you can't service them and We've again, we've traded autonomy for convenience. These new things are much more convenient, more, more powerful, you know, uh, much more capable. And the same thing with the John Deere tractors. But we've traded the ability for us to be able to go out and with a set of wrenches and work on it. We, you know, people can't work on their cars like they used to. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I think what's in a car too now, what some of the new technology has become just as important as the car being able to function mechanically. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know when I look at car, I'm going to be looking at for cars in another year or so. And the eyesight and the car play for me, you know, the cameras is just as important as how the car, how the whole engine runs, how sturdy mm-hmm. the car is. That's just as important to me as I get older. I rely on some of that technology to keep my driving skills up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what I... I mean, I look at it like a, a muscle car, a late 60s, you know, mm. uh, Chevy, you know, Chevelle, an SS or a Mustang, you know, and I'm like, wow, those cars are awesome. And, you know, if I got into drive it, it would be fun, but I wouldn't want to drive that every day. <laughs> it would be a pain in the neck, you know, <laughs> to drive like an old 60s era muscle car, whereas because it doesn't have the conveniences, doesn't have the, the all the benefits of a, of a brand new car. And that's the thing is, is we're trading, you know, like you said. You know, autonomy for convenience. One of the things, the, the, another thing they say in the article is when everything's a lease, you also agree to a life defined by someone else's terms. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. Like when I, when I buy a thing, when I buy a physical book and I walk home with it, I, uh, nobody has a say over what I do with that book. But when I've leased it, you know, or, for, which is the equivalent of leasing, a, you know, buying a Kindle book or a movie or buying hardware like i say like a home security system like ring that runs on the ring servers and has ring software how i use all that and and what it does is really dependent on the agreement that amazon has made with me and one of the things that kind of bugs me is is a lot of times the terms and services agreements the, these companies have built into them the ability to change them. You know, hey, by mm-hmm. the way, we we can change the terms whenever we want. And these one-sided contracts where they have the power to change the the terms of the contract, and we have none. We just have to lump it or leave it. And and that's a, that's a that the power is all in their hands. The companies have the, set the parameters, and we just have to do with you know choosing the lesser of evils. Right. Yeah, I've been getting quite a few of those policy changes lately from Adobe and Google. And I'm like, and and I have to really stop and read them because it's like, is this going to affect me? Is this, you know, because I have I have Adobe products. Okay, so I'm like, how much of this actually affects what how I use how I use Acrobat or how I use InDesign? And if, if it doesn't fine, not worried about it. If it does now, what do I do? But it's just like car. And again, if we go back to the car analogy, my husband always says, I will never lease another car because the restrictions on a, or he calls it fleece. I'm not fleecing another car because the restrictions that you have, I think it depends on how, what a user does with it. For us, leasing cars is not a good option because we do not work near home. So the amount of mileage you get in that case is makes it worse for us. We end up paying way more. It's the same thing with this technology. It depends on how you use it. If you're a casual user and you don't know how to fix things and don't care about how to fix things, then that might be fine for you. If it's some, if you're somebody that likes to tinker with things and I fix it is your jam, then fine. You know, you're going to want to do, you're going to want more autonomy over it, over the product. And even with software, um, like if you pull out your, 
old floppy uh, disks with like Windows 95 on it. You can install that on your computer and you still own, you own that much more than you own any software you buy now. Like I don't even think you can buy standalone versions of any of the Adobe products anymore. They've pushed everything to the creative cloud. Right. Uh, there might be, but you know, like you can't buy a disc, you know, you can't, yeah. you know, you're again, you are at the, with the DRM, it check, you know, you have to be online and it checks with the cloud and checks the server. I mean, the, the, you are limited. You're, you're treated like a part of it is you're treated like a, a, a criminal. You're guilty until proven innocent with a lot mm. of this stuff, you know, where it's so easy to run afoul of it accidentally. You know, oh, uh, oh uh, do you have a right to be running this software? Uh, we, we're pretty sure you don't. No, 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 no. Look, look, I'm, I'm, I'm signing in. Right. Right. Oh, ha- oh, and now I'm using the authenticator app. See, see, uh, you know, uh, something's wrong with our server, so you can't use it like, ah, I need to work or listen to this music or that sort of thing. And that's part of the problem is all the power is in the hands of the companies. And when it works, it's fine. But too often it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And it leaves the people who've paid money to use these things in the lurch. And that's there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one of the things that... um you know, I mentioned like the whole uh, they could change the terms at, at will. And it's not limited that that sort of place that consumers are in is not limited technology to, to technology. It it happens, you know, with your credit card. Every time every time your bank changes the terms on your credit card, they send you a, a notice in the mail and say, hey, you, by the way, we've changed this thing. So, you know, lump it or leave it. If you don't like it, you can cut up your card. Uh, don't forget to pay off the balance. You know, it, it's it, there's a problem in in contract law for consumers. In general, that's a whole nother lawyer topic that politics <laughs> need to talk about. But but this is this is connected to that that whole thing where the more we move in this direction, the more this is going to become relevant for all of us. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that there's anything we can do about it, because, you know, one of the one of the things we can do is we can look more at open source sort of stuff. Uh, and the other thing we can do is. You know, if you if you don't mind living in the in the shadows, there's there are there will always be people who are kind to trying to live with the restrictions in such a way that it doesn't limit them too much. Put it that way, you know, breaking DRM, which is technically not what you you know not you technically not allowed by the law, but you know there there is a there is a moral and ethical question that you would have to struggle with in your own conscience uh, on that one. Uh, I've made decisions in that area, especially when I've purchased hardware and the software has either been uh, not updated and doesn't work or the servers have been shut down in those cases uh, where, where a, uh, uh, a workaround has been made available on the internet. I, I, I feel very little compunction, very little ethical or moral questions about whether I should be allowed to do that at that point. Right. I just don't think consumers in general have oh, right. the information to make some of these decisions. So they just sort of ride the wave of whatever is new and exciting. And then they get into these dilemmas and it's like, so, so you mean I don't own this stuff? I have a streaming app full of stuff and it's not mine. Or this music is not mine. They they really need to be more educated more as to how this all works. But how how do you do that? Other than shows like this, <laughs> right? I don't think a lot of people would care even if they had the information because at this point, and this is probably more like people my age and younger, the attitude is just well, it's pay ten dollars a month and I have access to everything, and I know I don't own any of it, and I really don't care to have like a big physical library of media because maintaining that is too much work for a lot of people Mm. i wonder though at what point does those do those ten dollars a month run out you know Mm. there's only so many ten ten dollars available and and i i mean i i run into that myself and you know i want to cut the cord but uh for instance and that all these services like sling and youtube tv and hulu and all these things and i look at i'm like i'll be paying more to just to have what I have now, because because Sling recently raised their prices and YouTube TV raised their prices and Hulu Plus has raised their pl- price. Mm. And it's like suddenly I'm like, oh, now, now does it even make sense anymore to cut the cord? But the beauty still done and I and be done because I've done this and I've cut the cord is if you don't like what you're doing or something gets too expensive, you switch. 
And you can still find the same stuff in a different combo for a lesser price. It's just, do you want to do that? The thing is, is it's supposed to encourage um, competition, but in many ways, I, I'm, I'm seeing less competition. I, I think mm. what you're seeing is, is, oh, they can charge more, so we're going to charge more. It's like opposite competition. It's anti-competition mm-hmm. where the prices keep going up because they see what people are willing to pay. I find it funny because Sling is always saying we are lower priced than YouTube TV. Right. And they may still be technically lower, but mm. they're not as lower uh, as low as they used to be. And, and part of it is that I I have the smallest cable package there is. Like I I have like local TV and like news. I I, I my cable is it's like $45 a month. You know, you know, oh. so it's never makes sense to me to switch. I mean, I I pay more for the internet access than I do for the the TV stuff. For a lot of people, they're paying hundreds of dollars a month for their cable package, and it would make sense for them to cut the cord. And and I I agree with that. But um, it's just I mean you you in some cases we're just trading one one a master for another. You know, uh, and 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 in in that sense, you know, it might be better to trade off. You know, with with cable, you're stuck. You either you got usually one or two choices. You got where I live, Verizon or Comcast. You know, and that's it. Whereas if you do cut the cord, you have a lot more choices, and and there is flexibility and convenience in using a streaming service as opposed to the wire coming into your house. I get that, but uh, as far as the, you know, the whole idea of the, you know, in the future, you won't own any gadgets. I mean, I th- we're almost there now. I mean, that's not so much the future. That's today. We we really don't own much of the stuff we, we have. And like you say, Jack, is is that a problem? I mean, is it a problem just because we used to those of us who are older used to do it another way? Or is it really a problem to to not own your stuff? And I think that just sort of depends on what you're used to and what you're willing to to give up. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on this topic? I Again, I think it's just going to be the more people understand what they're getting themselves into, the better the choices they can make. And as long as we have choices, then I think those of us, you know, when, when all of us go, y'all can do whatever you want, but we'll still be doing what we want to be doing. God bless America, you know? Get informed, figure, uh, understand how the system works, make an informed choice. That's really, I mean, that's, yeah. that's life in general. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully shows like this are part of becoming more educated and making an informed choice. All right, before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including GPP, Charlene A., Cameron S., Mike D., and Craig S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So, our next uh, discussion, the next thing I want to talk about is this interesting story about virtual reality. I, I was going to save this for uh, Pat and, uh, and Father Andrew because Pat loves VR, but uh, I figured I'd bring it up now anyway, uh, which is that scientists studying virtual reality in rats because we... I'm not. Do they make little goggles for the rats? I'm not. It doesn't explain how they get the rats into the VR. So I'm kind of curious. But anyway, they studying virtual reality and rats have found discovered a new kind of brain wave. You know, they have different brain waves in the different areas of the brain. I don't want to get into it because, frankly, I don't understand all of it myself. Anyway, but uh, there's a there's a brain wave we knew about called a theta wave, which is associated with learning. They've discovered that when the rats are using are in VR environments, so they have like a a virtual version of a real environment that the rats are familiar with. In the VR version, the rats are displaying this new kind of brainwave that they call an eta wave. And I'm trying. I, I tried to boil it down. There, it's a slower version of the theta wave which could be significant for helping people learn by breaking things down for us. We, In other words, we might learn better in VR, which is an interesting idea. And uh, they dis- the brain reacts to VR differently from the real world. And they think it may have a significance for treating diseases like Alzheimer's, you know, various brain diseases. And it's, so I thought this was very interesting. What do you guys think of that? Uh, the, this, this story about 
ADA waves and VR and stuff. I was wondering if maybe the reason that it seems to be easier to learn in VR is that you know, like, even, like, the rats, you know, consciously don't know this is not real versus what is real. They don't think on that level, but they probably still have some awareness that this is not the same kind of environment, and so the dangers are not going to be there. And so you have more brain power freed up for actually processing the information. Like if you're like taking a driving course that's virtual reality versus actually driving, you don't have to worry about actually crashing. Hmm. I wonder um, if they if you would see the same sort of difference in like flight simulators that like pilots have to have to right, go in yeah. or you know astronauts and that sort of stuff. I'd be, I'd be curious. I think it would be an interesting avenue of 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 research for them is uh the lack of stress from mm-hmm. being in a real environment uh, it helps with that. Also, they they said that um, when you're in your real environment, you you your senses you rely on all your senses, smell, touch, taste, all that sort of stuff. Whereas when you're in VR, I mean you're when you're out, when you're in a headset, you're still kind of thinking about where you are in space in your real environment. And frankly, I find myself having to it's it's a little more work because i've got to navigate the virtual environment and make sure i'm not bumping into furniture in the real environment and that sort of stuff so i thought i think it's it, it sort of depends on what kind of virtual environment you're in if you're in a big empty room where you don't have to worry about stuff around you whereas in most people's homes you you are more concerned with that sort of thing so i wonder if that makes a difference too but they said that when the rats are in the virtual environment because they they're only relying on their visual cues, it may be enhancing it. Just like when you know someone has a disability, like blind or 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 deaf, it's not that their remaining senses are better. It's just that they focus more on those. And I wonder if focusing more on the visual helps with the learning as well. Hmm. So it's interesting. I just thought it was interesting how you know, we keep learning more about virtual reality and. It's not just a game. It's not just a, fr- a frivolous technology, you know, that they may actually have real benefits for us, you know, that, that is not dystopian like Ready Player One <laughs> and stuff like that. So, well, if I could just get over my motion sickness, I'd try it. Yeah, I still get motion sick in certain mm-hmm. VR uh, environments. Uh, I can't do the roller coaster app and the flight simulators. I'm still. Even when I'm sitting, I'm still kind of motion sick. So I get a, I think part of it is uh, exposure. If if the more I do it, the less I would get sick. Uh, you know, um, you know, motion sickness. And also, I'm old. So <laughs> let's move on to uh, another story. This one out of China. Uh, speaking of dystopian environments, the, uh, the 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 big Chinese company called Tencent. It's it's a massive company. Their hands are in everything. They own a lot of games that that a lot of us use uh, you don't realize uh, they also um i think they they fund a lot of american movies too you'd be, sidebar you'd be surprised at how many blockbuster american movies are funded by and partially owned by big chinese companies but uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's another discussion for another another doesn't uh, su- podcast doesn't surprise me in the <laughs> least <laughs> yes uh, keep an eye out in those opening credits in a lot of those movies anyway tencent is implementing facial recognition in its games in a lot of these games to stop minors from gaming uh, past 10 p.m. between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. Uh, they they were initially I think because of um, it's not that there's a law but that they've assigned into this agreement to prevent game addiction in China and so anyone who refuses or fails face recognition face verification will be treated as a minor and will not be allowed to play the game uh during these uh off hours um which you know it's cloaked in the idea of of a good thing you know keeping kids from gaming all night but this there are questions there are there are there are dangers in in this mm-hmm. sort of thing what do you guys think of this i think that it's I mean, it's it's the Chinese government, so I'm not really surprised. But I do think that this is one of those issues where if kids are having a problem gaming, that is the job of the parents to be locking that down, not the company. Mm-hmm. I agree. Totally agree. And if it's a, you know, if the parent decides that the kid can stay up till midnight and play games, that's up to them. I, I And I am, I'm not sure I would want... 
I would be concerned also with them able to being being able to distinguish between a minor and an adult. That could kick in some very interesting moral problems in another in another way. Right. And just the fact that they they have systems built in to recognize faces and to recognize what you're doing and who's doing it and just being able to see you. Um, There are data security implications for if the information, the, the verification information gets out and they have your facial imprint or whatever, someone else gets a hold of it, you know, hackers or whatever. Um, or Big Brother is able to, you know, do facial recognition as you're walking down the street and verify you, you know, your this is your face tied to this online account. And by the way, China has passed a law where you have to you, you are required to sign up using real name for any online account. Uh, now they've got your facial recognition tied to your real name. And when you're out on the street and closed circuit cameras and all that sort of stuff and that. They already do that. Yes. Like if you are, if you get put on a blacklist, you cannot like put gas in your car because you have to scan your face to pump gas there. Wow. Yeah. They've, uh, they've gone, they've, they watched that black mirror episode with the social credit score and, and said, Hey, what a great idea that is. <laughs> no, that wasn't supposed to be yeah. a recommendation. Yeah. But black mirror is essentially just like China, uh, in, you know, a year or two after is later, all those episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's scary. And, you know, we really, we really don't want our country, you know, whether whatever country you live in doing that, following that example, because it is a scary place to go. Um, and it's, it's part of the danger of facial recognition, which we've talked about, you know, the, these facial recognition systems. Our next story is a head. The next headline uh, is maker of a dubious $56,000 Alzheimer's drug offers a cognitive test that no one can pass. So this is what this one is, is, um, the company is Biogen. Hey, right here in Massachusetts. Uh, they're one of our big uh, biotech stars in Massachusetts. Anyway, they have a new drug, $56,000 drug that's been a, partially approved by the FDA. If you go to their website, in their marketing material, they, they have a six-question quiz, you know, whether you might need this drug or not. And when you, you – it has questions like, do you ever forget things, like a doctor's appointment or a lunch date? Do you sometimes struggle to think of the right word for something common, like I was doing about five minutes ago? Do you ever feel anxious or irritable more than you typically do? Well, the, then you might have Alzheimer's. Like, that's everybody. I think we all have Alzheimer's. <laughs> we all must need this $56,000 drug, right? And even, and, and even better, no matter how you answer on the quiz, it still recommends that you should talk to your doctor about possibly taking the drug. Of course, this is just like we were talking about a few uh, episodes ago about dark patterns. This is a dark pattern, which is mm-hmm. it's it's not it, it's it's designed to manipulate you into into following a particular direction. It it has nothing to do with whether this is a real diagnostic tool or a helpful tool. This is just a a way to get you to call your doctor and ask if you should be on this drug. You look as someone who has dealt with memory loss relatives and who's also asked her own doctor at at 62 if i forget this or i can't you know find a a name for a word uh, do i really need to be and the doctor looks at me and says no you're human move on um you know you're stressed you have a high stress job you do all these kind of things that plays into it too she said if i start to see things in you like when when you come for a checkup or if you start to do patterns of things like always forgetting to do something, always not knowing where you are. That's totally different. I know people want to find this stuff early so they can treat it. Sometimes early is relative to the person. You know, it could be 52 in one, it could be 82 in another. And I've seen it with the three that I've had to deal with in my, in my lifetime. It all, they all got hit with it at very different ages. It really takes advantage of the fears that a lot of people have. And and this happens with a lot of different things. Like a lot of these uh, ads, TV ads for, for drugs, 
you know, various medications. And the the healthcare system is no help because you go into your doctor and say, hey, you know, I wonder, do I have? And then suddenly you're on the, I call it the conveyor belt, you know, where you're, 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 you're suddenly now getting tests and procedures. It's like, I just was wondering, I didn't really want to be doing all this other stuff, but no, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a problem because we're also, we're also been made so aware of the potential diseases we could have hey make sure you, you know that you that you don't have alzheimer's make sure you don't have this and the news media is covering it and there's a hysteria about a lot of this stuff and it's like really you know see your doctor regularly <laughs> they'll give you cognitive tests they'll give you various other tests you you know if you have family history of dementia or other problems those are really the more things to be concerned about but not not taking tests on uh, drug makers websites and the thing and the thing with dementia is it's up, up until recently people didn't know that there would be a family history of this because you either a you didn't live long enough to find out yeah. again it's different in every person right. or b old age was considered you know well they get loony when they get older you know so yes go and see now that's everyone yeah, wants to know right right now it there's much more aware, awareness about it thank god because people live longer live healthier i get it but something my husband and i have always said is how come they outlawed cigarette commercials at one point on TV, but we won't outlaw drug commercials because both can be detrimental to anyone's health. Because if you're looking at all these different pills and then going to your doctor and not knowing if it's good for you or not, and you're just suggesting the pill of the month that's been on TV. I mean, I could probably sing half of them because they're theme songs because they use 70 songs reworded yes d designed to appeal to a very particular demographic yes exactly so it's like you know we should be out starting to think about outlawing that too because i think it's doing just as much a harm to folks as cigarette commercials did in the 70s so yeah don't uh, don't get your medical advice from the drug makers websites i think that's also a good <laughs> bottom line on that <laughs> one uh, our next headline is interesting in a way, although not all that surprising, it's uh, from Axios and it says stat of the day, 38 percent of remote workers work from bed or, or from their bed. Forty five percent of American teleworkers regularly work from the couch. Thirty percent, 20 percent often work outside. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure that is this a problem? I mean, frankly, if I could get my computer outside, I'd work outside, too, <laughs> you know, in the in the nice weather. Um but they they note that you know a lot of people in the pandemic who had to work from home, uh, they they didn't have home offices, they didn't live in situations where they could have a special place, and so they worked from their bed or from the couch and with other people around. What do you guys think of this? Is this, is this a is this a problem? Is this a uh, a privileged situation where people could afford bigger homes, they're better off? What's what's the deal? I think it's a non-issue. It's pretty much what I would expect. I don't think it's realistic to expect people to set up like a home office environment for every kind of job. Like if you're, if you're do if you have the space to do that, it's a, it's great to do, but it's not something that a lot of people have the space or the like will to like, if you can do all your work on your computer, you should sit wherever is most comfortable for you. Right. Right. And I'm guilty on all counts. And I've been doing that for years, which is why when this whole pandemic happened and everybody had to move home it was like this was a no-brainer for me i've tried every one of those places and depending on mood day physical condition i use any of those places what whatever is more conducive to the work that i'm doing sometimes i have to be at this desk with two monitors doing something other than that i can do it on my my laptop my ipad you know if as long as it gets done and it gets done the way I know how to do it and produce the work, then then fine. But everybody's like, gee, I can now sit in my pajamas and, you know, and do Zoom from my bed. Like, whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> I do also think that this is all, this might be a generational thing, too, because where I work, like the team is like half people in their mid late 20s. And then the rest of the people are like over 40. Um and the attitude towards the working from home thing is very, very different. Like the owners of the company uh, have the, had, a, had a view that like if you want to work from home, that means you just want to goof off and not get any work done. And it's 
the reality is, no, when we work from home, we don't have people stopping by our desks bothering us constantly so we can oh actually get gosh. more work done. Mm-hmm. I'm in that in that the older demographic there, but I am so much in that mindset that you're talking mm-hmm. about, Jack, because this was always an issue for me uh, in all the places. So I've I've worked from home uh, in my working adult working life. So I've, you know, I'd say my adult working life is probably 25 years at this point, uh, maybe a little longer. And I've worked from home for more than half of that. And then the other and then the other half, I worked from home part time in, in a lot of those jobs. And I it was always always drove me crazy. The 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 work in the office, the interruptions, the, the and, and that's sort of thing. And the, what it came down to was, look, hold your hold your employees accountable for the work. If they work, if they can get all the work that you expected them done in 20 hours a week, then let them get it done in 20 hours a week. They're not cheating you. They're doing the work that you want. And that's what always bothered me is. And, and frankly, there will be people who take advantage of that and won't do the work that that they're supposed to do. And so you hold but them accountable do that in the office, too. <laughs> exactly. I've met plenty of people who spend yeah. more time at the at the coffee station or the water cooler or other places goofing off than, than doing their work. So, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, work where the work gets done for you. So, so for me, I I can't work on the couch. I don't really have a lap uh, my physically. <laughs> uh yeah um let's just put it that way i'm i'm a, i'm a i'm a big dude and so i i've never been able to type on my lap um i sometimes i'll sit at the dining room table man i i need better dining room chairs or something because that just hurts after mm. a while so the this office at the nice in the nice chair that works for me i have a home office we've always had a home office environment we are we're a big family in a small house, but we've still set aside a space for me to do this because, frankly, I can't record podcasts with kids running in and out behind me. Right. You know, that just wouldn't yeah. work. No, I I have um, part of, you know, I've done the same thing as you, Dom. But recently, as I've gotten older, I need to, because I have certain medical conditions, I need to go downstairs and put my legs up for an hour or two. And what I didn't do in the beginning of the pandemic, but did recently because of a neck problem was I bought myself a lap desk and I will use it as a pick coming up because that has been the best thing. It's adjustable height. It's adjustable tilt. I can now type without, you know, and, and, and it's up here. It's up, you know, that I can actually sit up well so sometimes you just need little adjustments like that to be able to work in different areas. And like I said, I didn't think about that in the beginning of the pandemic because it wasn't a thing. But when I, my neck started to hurt, I was like, I think it's going to be a thing. So that was the <laughs> first thing I went and did. But again, it's 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 not the it's the quality of the work that employers should be concerned about. And sometimes they want quantity, but you can do do both either in an office or at home. It depends on what works for you. My husband has to be in an office, has to be away from the house because he wants to go out and garden. Right, so right. if he's if he's home, he wants to be outside. And so, so if it's introvert versus extrovert and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, I, I, I'm all in favor of the flexibility for what works best for the individual person and for the right. you know, and for the employer. You know, my wife, as long as I've known her, has been like when we first met, you know, twenty years ago, she she, she was uh, teaching at college and she would come over and hang out and I'd be working and she'd be working and she'd sit on on, on the bed working typing you know and she still does this she sits on her bed typing she sits in an easy chair typing she doesn't sit at, she never sits at a desk you know to do this is i mean this is what people have done this is always what people have done it's just mm-hmm. the past year has put a, a microscope on it and and now we've now we talk about equities and you know employers need to provide x y and z and that sort of stuff and you know uh, do what do what works for you. You know, we. I think it is important to think about the ergonomics and making sure that mm-hmm. you know you're not harming yourself, and that if you want your employee to provide a better setup for you, to you know, for remote work, that may be something you should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of pandemic and uh, being <laughs> out of contact, this one was very interesting to me, and it, and it was um, unexpected. So the Guardian had a headline said, "Virtual contact is worse than no contact." For over 60s in lockdown, according to a study. Now, I wish the study, I didn't click through to the study, but they, there were no percentages in this. So I'm not sure how much worse. But what it says is 
the, quoting the, the, the lead researcher, we were surprised by the finding that an older person who had only virtual contact during lockdown experienced greater loneliness and negative mental health impacts than an older person who had no contact with other people at all. I thought that was very interesting. And I wonder, though, and, and it, it doesn't explain, or at least what I saw didn't explain, is this because someone who would have no contact with anyone at all during an entire lockdown is the sort of person who doesn't need contact with other people? You know, that they, they I mean, if you're not seeking out contact, you, you, you maybe you're this, you're just a, an introvert who doesn't need human contact. Some, some, uh, you know, misanthrope somewhere. I don't want to talk to people. Um, as opposed to, you know, someone who only has virtual contact versus in-person contact. I don't know. But what do you guys think of this? Um, so I, I know for me personally, like I tend to be, be more introverted. Um, but I, you know, I like being around people somewhat. And during the pandemic, especially like early on when things were really, really locked down, I found like Zoom, like hanging out on Zoom and stuff with people to be more depressing than just not even seeing them. Because then you're kind of thinking about, hey, we're all in these little boxes and we're not able to actually be together. So for me personally, I, I definitely agree with this. Oh, wow. How, how about you, Joanne? I don't. And I'm <laughs> the over 60 crowd. But I will say that it I will say two things. One, for those with dementia, for my for my cousin, for example. She lost the ability to recognize me in person and connect me in person. Now, when I go see her, she doesn't connect. She, she knows who her cousin is. She knows her by name, but she's not connecting her with me anymore because we spent 18 months on, on camera. So it be, and the camera distorts, I guess, you know, when, when you're in that mental condition. But for my friends, I was, I, I, we were running a uh, once a month musicians forum just so people could get together because musician, church musicians got really hit by all this. They couldn't work. They couldn't do anything. So for them, it was therapeutic. And for another group of friends, we were doing a Friday night trivia night where we would just get together, do trivia, and, and that's still going, actually, it's, you know, at this late stage of the game. I found, the only thing I found was when I started meeting with friends again, I much prefer meeting with friends over, over lunch, over breakfast, over dinner. So I'm, I'm a meal person. So that's, that's what I miss the most. I mean, just sitting here and eating with other people on, it was, didn't, that didn't work for me. But you know, being back in a restaurant, which I'm afraid of doing again now. <laughs> now that, you know, I'm going to back off of that a little bit. Yeah, the Delta. But, yeah. Yeah. But it, in my case, uh, if I didn't have if I didn't have Zoom, if I didn't have Meet or FaceTime, I think I would have been and I'm a borderline extrovert introvert. I think I would have been worse because me and my husband alone for all that time. Yeah. <laughs> <would have> killed <laughs> <Right>. me. <laughs> You know, one of the things that they, they talk about is like, you know, the reason we have to be aware of this is in the future, any future lockdowns, any future sorts of situ similar situations, we should be aware of this. And But I'm wondering, you know, will this still be true for Gen Z or millennials, for instance, when they're over 60? Because they they will have grown up with extensive online socialization that this will no longer be you know, a, a new technology to them. It's just going to be as normal as making a phone call for them. What do you guys think of that? Is this, is this a long-term problem or is this going to go away with the change of generations? I think the fact that like, there's also studies out there talking about how millennials and Gen Z are very, very socially isolated. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to do with the fact that the way a lot of younger people communicate is just through uh, technology, not actually going and hanging out with people in real life. And so I think that you're probably going to see the same kind of things when the, this generation is older, because this is happening already with this generation. Interesting. That's actually a really good point. And, and I would, I would think, cause by then I'll be home with Jesus, um, <laughs> that you're all going to have holograms by then. <laughs> So I would yeah. I would think you'd be you know there might be a different way to interact with technology. So it may or may not be look, technology got us I have I have to be positive and say technology this type of technology got us through the worst part of the pandemic. 
Because mm-hmm. I think if we were isolated like they were 100 years ago, we wouldn't have had the information. We wouldn't have had the, you know, we would have passed right. it along to people more because we would have want to see people. We would have wanted to get out of our house and be with our communities. And I think, you know, this pre- pretty much saved a lot of people's lives. I mean, th- yeah, thank God we had the technologies that we did at this time in order to remain able to many people, not everyone, but many people able to work, able to see each other, able to experience the mass, for example, the live stream masses and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and there's actually a story about whether, uh, and we'll probably discuss this in an upcoming episode, but whether uh, a lot of churches are trying to decide whether to continue live streaming mass and the cost and benefits of that um, post pandemic. But um, yeah, I mean, thank God we have the technologies we have and in a future event of some sort where it's similar lockdowns required will we have newer technologies that'll make it even easier for us you know the vr or holograms which would be kind of cool uh a little holodeck where we could all hang out um i, I want a holodeck recreation so we can all go to galaxy's edge together like all the secrets of star wars oh, panel. But, uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah so i don't have to get on a plane and fly to florida anyway uh so interesting story. We'll have links to all of these, of course, as we always do. And we'd, I'd love to hear from you, the listener, what you think of, of, of these and how you react to, to a lot of these. Uh, but uh, at this point, let us move to our picks of the week. And uh, Jack, I'm going to let you go first. What is your pick of the week this week? My pick of the week is um, the renewed Kindles you can buy from Amazon. Um, and the main reason for that is Kindle's already pretty cheap. It's like $130, I think, for a paper white if you get it without the ads. But at this point, all the Kindles are... The hardware is kind of a few years behind. Like, they still do not have a USB-C, um, which I think that they really need to get on that. Like, I'm not going to buy a new Kindle until they upgrade to USB-C. Um, but th- they're low-powered devices. They're fairly... Um, easy. Like I took mine apart and replaced several parts in it uh, just to keep it going because I didn't want to buy a new one. Um, and you can get them for like between thirty and fifty dollars cheaper, and uh, they're like certified by Amazon. So I always I always say it's good to go with uh, the refurbished devices if you can get them certified because you save a decent amount of money. Yeah, like a refurb Paperwhite with no ads is one hundred and ten bucks, which yeah. you know, saves you twenty Ooh. bucks there. That's pretty good. Um, and they have other stuff too, like uh, tap Fire tablets and. Uh, ring cameras and uh, doorbells and echoes and all that sort of stuff. So that's actually pretty good. Yeah. I always advise like go to the, when you're like, whether it's Apple or Amazon, Mm -hmm. check out the certified refurbed because they're often as good as factory new. They come with uh, warranties and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I've done that for uh, several of my Amazon things that, that I've gotten in the past. Yeah. It's a good deal. Especially when you're buying for the kids, because they're yeah <laughs> they treat the stuff hard. If you're turning in an old Kindle, can you get money off of those refurbished as well? Yeah, that's a good question because you I'm can sure. do trade in. Yeah, I'm gonna actually go see. Yeah, I'm looking now, and <laughs> uh, I do just asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, usually they have a thing where you can trade in your old device and get mm-hmm. some money off of an off of a newer one. Uh, a, a new one, but I'm not sure if that includes the certified. Um, it doesn't look like it does, at least just mm. going to the purchasing page. When I go to the page for the standard Kindle, um, it gives me the trade-in option, but for the renewed one, it's it's not showing it up. It doesn't. Mm. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that, that, so that's something to think about. If you have an older one, it may actually be just as inexpensive to uh to to get a brand new one and trade in your old one but uh, right. then, then there's the having to pass it you know in the mail that sort of stuff so i mean just, but you've got options you got you got uh, you got choices there if i were buying a new one for my for one of my kids i would definitely be looking at the uh, the certified refurbished uh, i i now let's see two two of my kids so far have i think three no two of them have kindles but i'm expecting to be buying more of them over time it's just um, it it be- has become so much easier to uh, to give them books that way. Yeah, good pick, Jack. Good pick, uh, Joanne. What's your pick this week? Well, I promised I would review this when I finally got it, but <laughs> it's the Bridge twelve point nine Max wireless keyboard with trackpad for the iPad Pro twelve point nine. 
right off the bat, I will say it is lighter than the last one. Okay, so that's the first good thing. The last one, when I'd strapped the iPad into it, it was like, this thing is heavier than my laptop. And I think it was. And I have a 16-inch laptop. Um, The second thing that I love the most about it is no more of those little hooks where you have to try to put the iPad exactly into the hooks and then try to figure out how to get it out without throwing your iPad up against the wall. That's what threw. That's what put me off of the the bridge mm-hmm. ones because those hooks actually broke my my iPad. Oh, okay. Well, now now it's a completely flat back, and it's magnetic, so it fits right into it. Nice. Um, and third, the trackpad. The trackpad is every bit responsive as it is on a MacBook Pro. It's sometimes a little too responsive. And that's the only thing I can say because I, my trackpads are pretty lively, but this one takes, I mean, it, and, and I can't find exactly where to fine tune it because it lives in accessibility and not in a trackpad place like it would in, in Mac OS. So I got to try to figure that out. If you can get used to this little round circle going towards things and then expanding, it'll expand to fit whatever you want to click. That's the other thing. That was kind of like, ooh, it, I hadn't seen it do that before. It's that's that was, coming to the Mac. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, now it's doing it on that. So when I strap that in and take it somewhere, it's, it really is the closest thing to a computer experience with an iPad. Now, I don't know what the Apple version would do, but for $100 less, the bridge is $100 less than the actual Apple one. This one is, the, you know, the keys are responsive. It has all of the, the same configuration on top as, as far as, you know, um, locking it, going to the, there's one uh, key that goes directly to the homepage. Um, you have a, a separate key for Siri. Um, you have all the, you have the regular command key, which is a Mac, the Mac command key. So it's one of the reasons why my new, place is getting me a Mac mini is now I'm going to be bringing this to work instead of a laptop because I, I think I can use this as my more personal device in an office setting rather than having to carry my laptop all the time with me. One of the things that uh, apart from the clips, so I had dropped my iPad when it was in the bridge and mm-hmm. it snapped off the clip off of the bridge, but also cracked the glass of the screen Ooh. where it was attached. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so that they've solved that. That's actually good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, well, the other thing that always got me was the Bluetooth lag. Like it's Bluetooth is slower than smart connector, but they claim that it, that they fixed that, that it is just as fast. I haven't noticed any lag this time. Nice. And now there's something new with it. There is an app uh-huh. that you put on your iPad in order to get firmware updates. Oh, so that now they're updating the firmware. Cool. Yeah, I have a lot. The Logitech I talked about, uh, I think it was last week, um, trackpad, keyboard, case, mm-hmm. that is a smart connected one. But they also have an app for updating the firmware, which is interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty, I've had it for almost a month now, and I'm pretty impressed with it. Awesome. I, I'm liking it a lot. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to a, an article uh, that t- tells you how to adjust the trackpad tracking the uh the the trackpad tracking speed oh thank you yes (laughs) it's in settings general trackpad so um you'll you'll find it there in general but uh, i'll I'll link to it in the uh, in the show notes well the reason why i mention it is because i was using a regular magic trackpad with an ipad and it wasn't doing that the minute i went to the bridge all of a sudden it took off like a banshee and i was like (laughs) whoa wait a minute (laughs) right Uh, hopefully this will solve that good excellent uh, my pick is uh, the Wise Cam. So Wise W Y Z E sells these inexpensive, albeit Chinese, <laughs> cameras. They're made in China by uh, Xiaomi, I think it is. Um, but they're repackaged like the hardware. It's it's the hardware made in China. It's repackaged with Wise's software, and they sell it for really cheap. And so the Wise Cam Pan uh, Tilt Zoom Camera. It's fifty bucks right now. It's and I've I've used um camelcamelcamel.com, uh, which was a previous pick. 
to uh, keep an eye on when it drops bl- below that. And uh, what it it's a pan, like it says a pan tilt zoom camera that's an indoor camera that uh, I've set up. Um, I I only turn them on when we're not home, so because you know I don't want a camera on me all the time. And uh, but it has an app that you that goes on your phone and allows you to uh, turn and pan and tilt and zoom and speaker microphone. It you can record. It has an SD card slot, a micro SD card slot, um, so it can record. The, it, there is no subscription to you know to the the cloud. They do have a pro thing, but I've, I haven't found a reason to subscribe to the pro. Um, but it's really good. It's a it's a it's a really good, inexpensive camera, easy to set up, and uh, very easy to control. And uh, it's it's only about fifty bucks. And so I've really really like it. It's wireless, of course. Uh, you do have to plug it in via a USB. Uh, port, but it it connects to the internet wirelessly. It's you know Wi-Fi, um, so uh, a really really good camera for keeping tr- uh, an eye on your pets or watching your house when you're away from home or anything like that. Uh, I've seen people use it as sort of a a, a a doorbell cam sort of thing where they stick it in a window so they can look out the window at at people you know people approaching the house or that sort of thing because they don't want to if they like sometimes people live in a rental property and they can't install security cameras outside or or doorbell so they they do that so that it works well for that as well so um, it also has facial tracking i think that's actually one of the pro features it will do um face tracking or even uh face tracking of pets which is interesting they recognize pets and follow them around so interesting uh so the wise cam pan is my pick all right, that's it from us. So we'd love to hear from you what you think of our discussion. If you have any feedback for us, you can comment at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. We're also on uh, Twitter where we're at SQPN and we're on Instagram where we're StarQuest Network. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866, and you'll get uh, behind-the-scenes information on uh, upcoming shows and their episodes and all the things that we're doing. Uh, It's a a nice little newsletter that we send out a couple times a month. Until next time, Joanne Mercier, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. And Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>